everybody, this is Eric Frankhouse from EFP, episode 22. I'm going to be talking about stealth in games. Also, happy Friday the 13th, everybody. For those who don't know, Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees' favorite horror movies. And he actually kind of goes pretty well with what the topic is today. So, <laughs> just the, we're the, the broad strokes of what we're going to be talking about. Why I feel stealth got added to games and skills in general. Problems with stealth. How it works. A new way to use it in pretty much every system. And then we'll wrap everything up. We've got some call-ins. We'll throw them on. I think that's going to be it. The show... God, stealth. It's a love-hate relationship. Let's, let's talk about this. Hi everybody, first I apologize, there wasn't a show last week before we get into this. Uh, I was traveling, I had some backup material, but none of it was up to what I wanted to put out at the time, so I just did a quick week off. If you're upset with me, mm, well, you have this show. <laughs> but let's actually talk about why I think skills got added to a game. Uh, Matt Colville recently spoke about why skills were added, and, and there's something that is kind of struck a chord first edition didn't have skills for D&D something was added second edition and around that time frame is when Shadowrun came out now if you think about it I'm sure there was some games that had skills in it that I'm not mentioning before that but I can't think of any and because of this in 1989 AD&D came out and Shadowrun came out and they became very skill focused games and I believe that this happened so that players could feel different from one another other than the class that they chose. Back in the day, classes had more to them. Uh, well, less to them? <laughs> they, you had to like qualify to get into classes in AD&D. You'd have the certain stat requirements, more than you did now. Being a paladin or a ranger was an honor because you rolled really good stats. That doesn't really exist now. Yeah, you still have to have some prereqs, but the way stats are rolled now... It's really easy to do. So, I think skills got added in a way that uh, allow players to con consider their characters better or individualize from one another. I mean, they wanted to be able to play a game together and still feel like they were accomplishing something different than their per partner sitting next to them. So, skills get added. In Shadowrun, skills were a large part of the game. I, I can never remember Shadowrun not having skills. And them not being a predominant thing. Even now, when I play on Emerald Grid, there is the need for skills. Like, a friend of mine has a checklist of the skills that they want to get to a certain amount so they can teach other people in them. They're important. But skills can also kind of hinder a game. There's this really good sweet spot between. And 5e's answer to that was to say, well, now you got ability checks. If you can't figure out what skill falls under these broad skills that I have... You know, or they have and they've put into the game, then use an ability check. And that's really good. I like that concept. And concept. But they didn't give you the tools to fulfill this. The DCs need to be two scales. There needs to be a skill scale and an ability check scale. And I say this because you already have lower checks overall because you're not dumping skill points in something like you did with Pathfinder. And that, that allowed you to really be good at something. You could pump skills into something and be focused in it and amazing at it, but they had a lot more skills. And because of that, you felt inadequate when you were playing character classes that didn't get enough skill points. 
when you're using your ability checks, the DCs need to be lower because you're only getting that one to four bonus five on an amazing character. But you're not getting your proficiency bonus and a lot of other things aren't coming with it. I find those a problem when you're doing checks and skills. And you're probably thinking, what the fuck does this all have to do with stealth? Well, let's get into problems with stealth. And maybe this will make a little more sense when I'm giving you skill things as a background. The last thing, though, and why I think skills got added to games and what they're there for, they're there to fulfill the idea of being specialized and professional in what you do. But on the back end of it, it gives you something to advance in a character. If you are a class-based game, like AD&D 3.5, or 5th edition, getting a new skill means that you become better at something. For things like Shadowrun, skills allow you to do things. A lot of them combat-related, some of them matrix-related. But without these things, you would have nothing to spend karma on. And when games like Shadowrun are a point-based system where you are buying your skills as you go with your karma points, what else would you put them into? So instead of having class features, you have just skills, and this all comes together to make your character. So, okay, enough yimmer yammering and jabber jawing about this let's let's get into the idea with stealth and problems in a game i mean that's why we're all here at least i am so let me set the scene for stealth and i'm gonna do this with a visual explanation of a scene in a village for like an oriental game oriental adventures <clears throat> so a samurai is walking through a village he is looking everywhere, watching everywhere, because this is a clan that has been exiled. They don't have samurais anymore. They're considered ronin. Their honor is gone. He's worried about anyone coming to kill him or assassinate him as he makes his way through, carrying the noble weapon of his lord back home. And the roofs above, these clay-scaled roofs, there is a group of robed individuals watching. They point no noise as their ninjas follow. Quickly they patter across the roofs, their toes striking down but making no noise, until one of them makes a mistake. Hits that crack that they know is there in this village. They ran across it numerous times. And a shingle, a clay shingle from the top of this building slides off and lands behind the samurai, but at a distance. Samurai is ready, turns, cuts the clay that falls out of the sky. That one ninja has been seen, but his brethren have not. So in this scene, you have one person walking through a village who would probably be using the equivalent to passive perception. Um, he's watching, he's worried, he, maybe he's got like a 15 in what he does if you're doing this in, you know, D&D, &D, or maybe he's got like an 18 to 20 if you're doing this in Pathfinder. While everyone says D&D &D is easier than Pathfinder is, really, the scale of DCs is just five higher. And the more books that came out, the higher the DCs in Pathfinder needed to be bumped, but that was never done. So it's something I just did in-house, and I think it's something a lot of GMs did without knowing about it. So he's using his passive watching. And as that happens, these ninjas, let's say there's five of them, but the robed individuals, which are the clan leaders, 
point and tell them to follow and kill them. So they run across rooftops. So they're making their balance or acrobatics checks or whatever system you're in or athletics. And then after that, how many stealth checks do you have to make to get up to these people? If he's in a village and you're running far away, do you have to break it all the way down to how far can he hear? At what distance does checks need to start? Do you need to know the max DC this guy? He's a 15. And what the, the minor amount is? So these, these ninjas normally would be rolling every single round to get up to him until a mistake is made. I don't know about you, but that's not very cinematic. And if you don't care about cinematic, you're just worried about crunch, and my guy's good enough to make those rolls every time, great. But it really gets agitating to make those rolls over and over. And that's not even talking about the different mechanisms for how it, how stealth is handled in every game. I mean, Jesus, we'll get into it and how it works, but there are stuff that make this, so this is going to be the GM's problem. So these are problems with stealth, and that's just one scene. I mean, there's only five people. Now, maybe they're all GMs, or maybe the party is the group of ninjas following the samurai. So let's take this to a sci-fi setting. Let's do one for Shadowrun. I've been playing a lot of that lately. And this is a good example of, of an espionage version of it. And the problems that are going to come with this. Because stealth comes in many forms. Not just hiding in the shadows. Sometimes it's hiding amongst people. So you enter the plaza for Ares technology. Your goal is to look like the rest of them. The rest of the wage slaves. As you mill about, make your way through, and get through the metal detectors. And your cyberware sets off a few security alarms, but... Your Decker has already set that up, that that is part of your identity, part of your sin. As you make your way to the front desk, and you ask to see Arika. Arika is apparently your Johnson you're supposed to meet. You give the word at the front desk, they look at you, look you over, see your Aries technology come up on AR and your badge. They check you, and they ask you a simple prodding question. This prodding question could be, Normal information for someone who works there. And you see, you know, we changed coffee today. It's no longer Torres. Now I got some jacked up, crappy new brand of Aries coffee called Bulletproof. You had it yet? Now, this would be normally where you would lie. But you know that the Bulletproof that is here has been out of stock, and you guys have went back to the original stuff because your decker did his job. You answer your questions. You get on the elevator, and you make your way up to see Eureka. As you're in the elevator, there are 15 other people crammed in here. In front of you are two corporate security guards for Ares. You know, if they get eyes on you, your Decker may not have been able to make you safe. So, you slide back to the back of the elevator, put your head down, and mind your own business. One of them looks you over briefly, Doors open. They both exit. One goes left, one goes right. You go right out the middle and follow with the crowd. You're supposed to be meeting on the 37th floor in room 365. Well, it sounded good until you get to the door and that security guard was waiting. He's made you. Now what are you going to do? So, stealth in this is different. You are not actually trying to hiding shadows and move through. Instead, you're using the crowd as cover and you're using your ability to move within like you belong. 
we've all seen those movies where, you know, Ocean's Eleven or whatever, they act like they belong. Now, there is lying and deceit and things involved, and those are different roles and stuff. But hiding within a crowd of people to make your way somewhere is not. That is a pretty normal thing. Except that it's damn near impossible to do. Like, people just don't get that you can't... You don't want to make a stealth check constantly through this. Every turn, every footstep. Or if you're playing in a very tactical game where there's a board down, I feel like as soon as a grid hits, the GMs and the players think that you have to roll a stealth check every time you make a movement. And sometimes that's what the rules say to do, but is that fun? I don't think it is. And with that said, I want to kind of talk about why it works, what you can do in my love-hate relationship with stealth. Because, I mean, dude, those scenes are the best in movies, but you don't get to do anything. You can't retry if you fail. You've seen. You're rolling every round. Like, the GM, the GM alone has to take care of stuff. So let's get into to the how to fix this. You know, GMs have to roll for players, and it can be a problem. So we talked about two scenarios for stealth. One is fantasy, one is sci-fi, one is following somebody and not being seen, while the other one is all about hiding within plain sight, within the crowd itself in a sci-fi setting. And here's the problems that stealth have in a few games. One, players rolling. Well, they know they fail. Oh, damn, I rolled a 10. There's no way this is going to work. And their passive perception is going to be a higher than a 10 unless they're blind. Or, oh, I rolled a 20. I'm fine. Or I rolled a 30. These things become problems. And now, don't get me wrong, I think a player should have an, an increment of an idea, an inkling of what they can do. And if they've passed or failed, sure, stepping on a stick, you're going to be worried. Tripping into a pile of glass or accidentally walking through a glass, you know, divider in an office building, that shit might get noticed. And the player's going to know when they do that. That's one of the big problems, though. Players do that, and then they'll just stop and retry. Unless there's no retries in the system. Now you're not given the chance to, you know, dive around a corner. Rolling every round, every turn of combat, even though you're not in combat, it seems like that initiative and stealth are the same thing. As soon as you roll stealth, you are now basically saying you're in combat turns. I don't agree with that. I don't think you should have to go into slowing the pace of the game down when you stealth. You shouldn't have to stealth and go into combat turns. You get your movement, stealth, get your movement, stealth. It's just not... It's not good. It's not a good way to do things. I, I, I think instead of doing it every round, there's got to be a better way. But then there's the GM roles method, where the GM is responsible for rolling for everyone who's going to stealth. Okay, god damn it. Like, GMs have enough to do in most games. Why in the hell should a GM have to roll each and every roll? So let's take two versions of a game. Let's take a, a combat game versus a, um, a narrative game. We'll take Pathfinder, combat. Your GM rolls stealth. There's five people in the party. He's got to roll for each one of you. And he's going to have to have his people watching you roll. Or it's going to be versus their passive perception. These passive perceptions, like 15. That means i got to roll for every person. There's one person in the party who's probably going to fail because they're a paladin. 
Now I have to have all their stealth rolls, and I have to roll five dice to see if they're going to pass or fail. In a sci-fi game, okay, we're playing Shadowrun. i got to have all your dice pools and roll each and every one of your 10 to 20 die dice pools to see how many successes you get. I mean, I guess if I'm playing digitally, that might be okay, but fuck me, dude. I don't want to do that as a GM. Do you want to do that as a GM? So I love what it does. I like the idea behind it. I love that it means the players don't know if they pass or fail. I know that, I think it's in Harmon Quest, the GM rolls all of their rolls, and that determines if they pass or fail. But I don't want to do that. I, I mean, a narrative system is the opposite problem. Wow, or even worse. So let's play a Numenera or Cypher System. The player rolls. The GM does not. I can do an intrusion if I want to make things different. Sounds good in theory, but in execution, mm, they're going to roll. They're going to know if they pass or fail. If, if they make it, I throw a GM intrusion out to say they failed anyway. Excuse my yawning. There's no reason for it. Fuck you, yawning. But yeah, you pass or fail for it. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to put a GM intrusion out there to, to make it so that the players have to re-roll? Or they have to deal with the intrusion just because they stealth. They do this every time they stealth. GM rolling it also doesn't work that well. All that does is get rid of the players know what's going on, puts it in the GM's hands, and makes it more work. If your GM likes more work, by all means, I guess go ahead. But I just I don't like having to do that extra work when I'm already doing so much. So all of that little, that was four minutes of me complaining about why stealth doesn't work in games. I haven't talked about this even in a horror movie variety. It's Friday the 13th. Jason Voorhees stalks people. He's a supernatural being that does it anytime. You turn away and look back, he is gone. This works as hide in plain sight. It is something that exists in D&D. It exists in Pathfinder. But you got to roll every time. And if he's following you and he shows up in areas, how is he doing that? Is he, is he stalking you? Is it like the video game where he's got like a supernatural movement? Man, it just doesn't work, and you want it to. So, all of this complaining, you know I believe in constructive criticism, I have a solution. Let's get into it. Shit, I can't believe I didn't prep. They're going to be here in an hour. Oh, I have nothing ready. I'm going to be knocking at the door, and I'm going to be screwed. I don't have time to read over this module. It's 60 pages. What am I going to do? Have you been in this situation before where you've done no prep and nothing is ready for your weekly game? Well, find Plotted Adventures. Plotted Adventures is a new way to prep. Two maps, a plot web, and audio notes. This allows you to go from zero to hero in a matter of 30 minutes. That's right. Prep for an entire four to five hour adventure in mere minutes. You can find this produced by EFP on DriveThruRPG or through Eric Frankhouse Presents Patreon. That's right. Less prep, more play. So, I realized a while ago that there was something you could do for stealth to make it easier. So let's take that same situation we had in the beginning. The idea of the ninja chasing the samurai. 
how do I handle that scene so they're rolling, they're not rolling stealth every 30 to 50 foot of movement or whatever the fuck their movement is. And it gets really simple. Like, why is the passive perception being used versus their active stealth? And I'm using active because I think anytime you roll a skill, it's an active skill. How do I remedy this? How do I, how do I change the dynamic there? So for me, I'm like, why, why don't I just use passive stealth? I've used passive for other things like sense motive, you know, guy's a paladin. He knows when generally idiots are lying to him. How do I make this work? So passive stealth is the idea that you're taking passive stealth versus passive perception and comparing. And this is anytime you are doing something that is not a confrontational situation. I know. How do I describe what the fuck confrontational is? Okay, the ninjas are above them. They're getting ready to jump down and attack. You need to roll your passive. Because you were just using, or you need to roll your stealth. Because you're just using it to get up to him. Now you're actually going to attack him. I need your roll. You're within your range. Your area to shoot. Anytime you're taking an active move against them, that's when you roll. Pretty good, right? Makes sense. Why would I roll during that? Well, there's a good chance that that samurai is walking through and doesn't notice them. They're ninjas. It's what they're good at. And yeah, if the samurai is really good at perception, there you have a 15 passive and he has a 16. He sees them coming and he is ready. This also solves things like surprise. They jump in. He had a higher passive. Boom. He sees them coming. They don't get the roll. I'm like, I'm sorry, but his passive was higher than your regular. Your passive. And he sees you guys coming. He's ready. You do not surprise him. But if you get up to him and maybe three of them fail and he sees those three, but he misses the fourth. Everybody moves up. I'm like, oh, you guys, he sees you. You, he did not see. I need you to roll yours to make sure you can get in and, and murder him. And this is going to be versus his passive still. Now, you might be acting, asking why is it versus passive versus active? Because he's not actively looking for them. This is the only thing that sometimes you can change. If you feel like, nah, he should get his active versus the active because he saw them already, go ahead. Or he gets the passive versus active because he didn't see him. This is very situational, but what it allows you to do is have a cinematic telling of stealth. So in that game I've been playing for for Magic and Monsters, the Marks of Men, Iris is a spy. She literally tracked them for like four sessions. They never saw her. And it was passive versus their passive. And she never did anything physically towards them, but she did towards other people. Roles got made for her against other people, and she had this whole subterfuge thing that worked beautifully. <laughs> and it was a comparison, but it reminds me of um, stealth. Reminds me of the mini game within the game that sometimes can bog things down. And by making it passive versus passive, passive, it doesn't. Because here's why: if you are really good at stealth, and there are no terrain modifiers, right? None, none in your disadvantages the person stealthing. You're probably going to beat most passive perceptions unless they have in a fantasy game an elf or in a futuristic thing somebody with cyber eyes that bonuses. If it is going to be versus somebody who is really good, they're probably going to see you and you're not stealthy enough. You, that plan of attack is going to work. You didn't close. You're going to make your attack. They already saw you. Element of surprise is gone. And that's the point of it. Now, I had somebody say that you're taking the stealth away from rogues, but I'm not. You're actually giving them the advantage to be better than most people and have a chance to get their sneak attacks off. Instead of failing three rounds before they even get to their target or get to their thing, they have a chance to actually succeed. And that's what I want with that. 
So let's let's take my Friday the 13th example. If a group of people are panicked, Voorhees has already murdered two. They're laying in the front yard. You can see them through the cabin window. One is dismembered, and the other one has got an axe buried in his face, and he's still coughing up blood. Voorhees has been seen doing this. He rounds the corner of the building. You're inside. Passive goes into effect. They don't know where Voorhees is. They're looking around. We're actively looking. Okay, you roll active. I'm like, all right, you roll active, Voorhees rolls active. Or time passes, they settle back down. They're like, he hasn't been around. They're in the room, classic horror thing. They're all kind of panicked, but they're talking to each other, and now they're back on passive alert. They think they're safe behind a locked door. Voorhees passive takes effect. Comes up to the door, rolls his stealth. They don't hear him. He punches through the door, grabs one, and yanks him into the hall. Would not have been possible if you had to make five stealths to walk up to the door down the hall. Unless he's trying to draw them out, why do I have to do that? So, those are my concepts on, on what I think passive stealth can do to help your game. Try it out. I think it can work in most games, uh, especially if skill checks and DCs are involved. And for things like Shadowrun, you can buy successes. So it could be buy versus buy. That would be the equivalent to passive. I really like this, and it speeds up, especially if you want a more narrative approach. For me as a GM, it's about the story, and if the players are supposed to be badass in a scene, they're supposed to feel like the, the big damn heroes in the words of Firefly, let them be. If it is Cthulhu, where checks matter and failures matter, use those passives to get them to the scenes that you want. And then when you get to the scenes that you want, ask for a few more rolls, because it's important. Failure there is what makes the story. So that's kind of what I feel about stealth. Stealth in the chase is great. And, you know, there is one thing I didn't mention. Back when I was doing Refresh and Reload, we interviewed the people from Mark of the Ninja. Mark of the Ninja is a video game. Yeah, I know. Blast me. Woo, video games. But I used to run a review site for video games with my brother. And we interviewed this team. They talked about making a stealth game. You play a ninja in this game. And you're following people around and murdering them and doing all these things. And it is beautifully animated and almost looks like Samurai Jack. Stealth in that game was an art form. And I think that's what I always drive back to when I think of stealth. How that game works is how I want it to work in my tabletop games. So that's it for me. Um, we'll go into the closing here really quick, but I hope this helps you out with your home games. I hope this helps you out with handling stealth and make it more fluid and involved instead of feared and hated. All right. So in closing again, I want to say thank you to my patrons for my Patreon. Uh, our new campaign setting for 5e has launched, and they're helping me build this as we go. Um, I don't like calling it a beta or an alpha because that makes people think that it's you know, like a greenlight project. It's not. We're, we're building this as a, a team here at EFP. Most of this is done through playtest, and Patreon is giving me the time by by giving me some money to finish producing this at a faster rate. So thank you so much for letting me get my first campaign setting out. It's going to be a micro setting. If you haven't heard what those are, they're really like 30 to 60 pages of a setting. If you subscribe right now to Patreon, you can get in, play the game. It is 5e high magic and very different. Um, I did this because I noticed there's not a lot of high magic settings for 5e. At least not ones that I was interested in check that out and again thank you patrons for 
for supporting what I do. It means a hell of a lot. You're going to be able to see some new stuff from me coming out. Um, I am working right now with a few companies. I'm doing a lot of cartography. I have stuff I can't post. That's why my posts have been a little sparse. I'm waiting for them to be okay so I can put them out. Um, I do have a new plotted adventure coming as well. I'm working on that this month. My goal is to have that in one post ready for the, the new campaign setting by the end of this month. Depending on how everything else goes. And I can say that I'm doing something for Shadows of the Demon Lord. I'm not going to say what yet, but I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And oh my god, I get to play the twisted part of my brain in this game. Uh, so, I'm excited with what's going on, and I, I love doing this. I'm sorry I missed last week again, guys. I just, traveling shit was going on. So, with that said, Anchor has changed. There's now the ability to do some co-hosting. I want to have some more people on the show need to get another interview together here i got one in the can but i'm kind of saving it for a special time mostly because ndas and uh if you guys have something you want to talk about on the show or you want me to talk about call in buttons in the lower left hand corner i believe that's how it is in the new anchor they change it like every month uh, but call in and i'll put you on the show and we'll discuss it and if you love this give me a five-star rating on whatever you listen to this podcast on the more five stars that the efp podcast gets the better chance we have for it to share, the more I can do, and the more people that are listening, and we can get more interaction. I love it. I eat it. It's my air. I breathe it. And the more interaction I have, the more I want to do this. Thank you to listeners. Thank you for being here. That is it for me, and you know the rules. Watch, listen, learn, and go roll some dice and share a beer. Till next time, Eric out. <laughs>